How many of you saw the canines out there? They're going to be a big hit. I thought about bringing them in here. They might be a bigger hit than me. Everybody loves the dogs. So one of the little little boys was afraid, and he said, you know, is the dog going to chase me? I said, are you a bad guy? He said, no. I said, the dog won't chase you anymore. He only chases bad guys. So I don't know about y'all, so I just said, keep the dogs out there. So um, I'm going to see, Brother Mark, somebody will get the offering plate for us. You don't mind? Take up the uh, take up the evening offering. Let me pray, Father. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for the opportunity to come in, Lord, and Lord, and study and share Your Word. Lord, I pray Your blessings on each person here. God, we thank You. God, we come out on Wednesday night. Sometimes we're tired, and but we just take some time to come out and God and get into Your Word and just feel Your presence. We ask Your blessings on this offering in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'll ask that this week here that you keep my son, Colin, in your prayers. And I think Brother Jonathan's leaving too. Uh, does he leave tomorrow as well, Matt? Saturday morning. So, Jonathan leaves Saturday morning. Um, for those of you who know, Colin's been, and if I told you the story, and I don't have time, but of how Colin ended up with the Assemblies of God campus ministry known as Chi Alpha, you would know that God led him there. But he's come very connected into that, and um, he is, they're, they're taking a team out of there uh, for spring break. Some of them are going to San Francisco, which is where Jonathan's going, Matt's son. They'll be ministering to the homeless down there in San Francisco. One team is going to Jordan, and another team is going to Mali, Africa. So Colin's going to Mali, Africa. Uh, he, he leaves tomorrow. He's going to go up to D.C., uh, a team of them, and then they're going to board a plane and fly to Mali, what they'll be doing there, they cannot, they cannot go as missionaries uh, because it's a heavily Muslim nation. They can go as English teachers, and so he's going as an English teacher. Uh, now, now, let me say this. As a dad, I'm very proud of him spiritually, but in, as a father also, and his mom feels the same way, I'm a little scared for him. Um, I am, and, and, and he's, in June, he goes back for a year, and he's going, and so... Uh, but I'm very proud of him. And but what they're going to be doing is they will be teaching English. They will actually be learning Malian, ever what that is, their language. And but they'll be working in an orphanage. Uh, little boys there are commodities, and, and they just put them out on the street to beg at a very early age. And it's a chance to get them into the the uh, orphanage that is run by the ministry, build relationships, and, sh- and ultimately share the gospel. And so. That's what's going to be happening with, with, with a team of college kids, and I'm, I thank God for that. There's a, there's a new generation out there. And I will tell you from, from working uh, those last few years in the police department, one thing I seem to think I know about the millennials, and there's a few in here, they're very idealistic. They want to be a part of something that's making a difference, they think, in somewhere. And if you tap into that with young people particularly, there's no better place to make a difference than in, G, in the gospel of Jesus Christ and spreading it. And, and, and they do a really good job of tapping into those young folks to do that. And so I ask that you keep Colin and that team in prayer and Brother Jonathan and those kids that are going out to minister on, on spring break. So what I want to do tonight is I want to, I want to uh, expound a little bit on Pastor Don's 
Last time he spoke on Wednesday night, he spoke on the authority of the believer, uh, of the church and of the believer. And, and many of you know that this Friday night, Saturday morning and Saturday night, Dr. James Lee is going to be here. Is everybody aware of that? Everybody aware of that? Okay. So what I'm looking at here in this church right now, I'm looking at the core membership of this group. You're here on a Wednesday night, uh, and, and so we hope that all of you all will come out for uh, this revival is what it is. And Friday night, Saturday night, and also Saturday morning for, for some teaching. And I'm intrigued about this, and I'm looking forward to this because he is going to be teaching and preaching on the authority of the believer. And how, and, and, and how many of you along with me, I wonder at times, why don't we see some of the things that I know we're empowered to see as the church? I, I am very intrigued with that because I have a lot of those questions. I have a lot of questions about a lot of things, but I'm certainly intrigued with, God, why don't we see some of the miracles and the things flowing through your people that I believe Scripture clearly says that we have the authority to do? Now, we're not cessationists, if you know what that is. Cessationists believe that all that stuff stopped with the apostles. I would challenge anybody to show me that in scriptures. I, I like to watch debates here lately. I've been watching a, some debates between a, a, a man by the name of Dr. Michael Brown. I don't know if any of you all know him. Messianic Jew, spirit-filled, and a, a man by the name of Dr. James White. He is a cessationist, and they, they have very intellectual debates. It ain't the debates where they holler at each other and try to make each other look like fools. But, but there's clearly no scriptural evidence that, and I think there's plenty of scripture that these things are still for us today. So why don't we function in them? And I have a couple of those questions. And so I want to um, start out by looking at Exodus 34.10. If you, have, if you have your Bibles, follow along with me. I'll be looking at some scripture. Because clearly if you look even through the Old Testament, God desires to show himself strong through his people. Now in Exodus 34.10 what has happened is Moses has received the, the, the covenant, the Ten Commandments. This is the second time because the first time, you know, he came down off the mountain and they were rushing in a golden calf and what did he do? He busted them. He's angry with the people. So he goes back and God reconfirms the covenant. Moses is coming down and this is what God says to Moses. He said, and he said, behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. And all the people among you who, and all the people whom you are, you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. So from the very beginning, even when the covenant was first established, God said, I'm going to do marvels with you. He, he has always wanted to show himself strong through his people. And that's shown over and over and over through the Old Testament. And it, and it carries into the New Testament, as we'll see in a moment. But as Pastor Don went over his outline, when he got down to the end, and he, he, he was near the end of it, so he didn't spend a lot of time on this, so I want to carry on with it a little bit more. He, he quoted uh, five reasons why believers don't walk in power and authority. And this came from, from I think it's pronounced Shehan. He's a senior pastor of uh, Harvest Rock Church in Pasadena, California. And these were the five reasons he said that the, the believer do, do not walk and function in power and authority. One, sin. Two, ignorance. Three, unbelief. Four, fear. And five, prayerlessness. Sin, ignorance, unbelief, fear, and prayerlessness. And we, we talked about those a little bit. I know Sister Marsha was here, and, and one of, when we asked, she said fear was one of the reasons. 
I will tell you that's one of my reasons. One of my reasons. But of those five, I would, I would ask, does anybody here feel like that w- which one of those or which maybe a couple of those may be most, most, most prevalent in the American church today? And the reason I say that is this. Would you agree with me that the culture and the time in which we live and how we live affects us as believers? Would you, would you agree with that statement? Do you think an American Christian, I mean a true American Christian, true follower of Christ, has the same outlook on their faith as an Afghani Christian or an Iraqi Christian? Do you think there's probably some things that impact that? I would think so, okay? And you, you may disagree. You may disagree here or, or afterwards. But the culture in which we live impacts these things. Um, but in, in the culture we're in now, what, if any, of those things would you think are most prevalent in the American culture that affect maybe how we're, we're functioning today? Anybody? One, I think sin. I don't know that we take sin as seriously as God takes it. Uh, I, I think that though, that is one thing that can affect our ability to walk in the power and the authority that Christ has given us. Let me give you an example. I mean, I don't know if you remember the story of Joshua. So Joshua has taken the city of Jericho, and he's been told, do not take any of the devoted things. Take all, don't take any plunder out of Jericho. And, and so then after that, they're going to take a city called Ai. Ai. All right? Joshua sends some spies out. And, and the spies come back and say, no problem. There's not that many people there. We can take this city. No problem. So they send about 3,000 men in to conquer that city. Well, they, they, get, they get beat bad. They run them out. And they come back, and there's Joshua. And Joshua tears his clothes. He falls down on the ground. And he says, what's going on? And this is what the Lord said. He said, there's sin in there. You couldn't defeat the enemy because you got sin in your group. I don't like these things. I use my hands too much. Because you got sin in your group. They couldn't defeat the enemy because of the sin that was involved in that. Now, what I found interesting in that is I did some studying on that and, and Jack Hayford. He said there's something called corporate solidarity. I found that interesting. I think about that as us as a nation. So one guy sins, and the whole nation pays a price for it? Yes, they did. One guy sinned, and the whole nation paid a price for it. Corporate solidarity. But that sin, nevertheless, affected the power of that of the Israeli people to be able to take over that, over that town. Sin can make a difference on the power in which we function in. If there's sin in our life that we're not dealing with, there's sin we're not, not uh, repenting of, that we're walking in, certainly it's going to affect our ability to function in the power and the authority that the Lord has given us. Next, that I think, I do think uh, fear has a lot to do with it. I don't think there are enough or as many spirit-filled Christians that are out actually exercising the power that God's given us. I won't ask you by a show of hands, but I wonder how many times, and I say this for myself, how many times is the last time you've gone out to somebody that you know, particularly someone that's lost, that was sick and wanted to say, before I live, can I put my hands on you and pray for you? Or maybe there's an addiction. Can I put my hands on you and pray for you? We should do more of that. We should do more of that. But I think fear keeps us from doing it. I think a little unbelief keeps us from doing it. And I'll share some of my own personal stories in that in just a minute. That where I have struggled in both of those areas of doing it. And then I do think prayerlessness. I don't think 
we pray sometimes as hard and as often and as much as we should. So those were the five that, that Pastor dealt with, and I want to build on those a little bit. And I want to look at some scriptures in the Bible that speak specifically to a couple of those things that Jesus had to deal with with his very own disciples as we go through. But before I do that, I do want to lay a couple foundational truths that I think will help. At least they help me as I wonder, God, why don't we see the things the way that I think we should see? And here's a couple foundational truths I want to start out with. First is God is sovereign and we must trust him with the outcomes. We must be like Job was in Job 13, 15. He said, though God slay me, yet will I trust him. Because if we don't, folks, if that's not the starting point of our lives and the ending point, then we get all over the place. I I can't tell you how many times I've prayed. Look, we had a a, a little niece in our family, and we prayed for her. People all over the world prayed for her. I believed God could heal her. And how many of you have had prayed for things, and it didn't happen the way you thought it should? And you think you did everything right, and maybe you did. But it's not about you, and it's not about me. It's about the sovereignty of God. And unfortunately, too many people come into the church today. And, when, and I've seen this here at Bethel. And it happens here, so I know it happens in other churches. They come through those doors because they've had a bad diagnosis. They've lost a job. There's something going on with their children. There's something going on in their marriage. And they need something from God. And if he can't give it to me, if I don't come up here and get it right now, then I just don't want anything to do with him. That's not the God we serve. That's, that's not the God we serve. And this is, you know, this is easy for me to stand here and say this because right now, quite frankly, things are going pretty well in my life. But you know what? I have to start out when I pray with someone or whatever's going on in my life or your life, I have to be willing to say this at the end of the day. God, you're sovereign and I trust you. I trust you. No matter what happens. And that takes away a lot of the pressure. Because when we quit trying to answer everybody's questions, God is sovereign, and we have to trust him. We have to trust him. And next, foundational truth number two. Let's be careful. I think our words matter. Let's be careful of the things that we say. Unfortunately, I see in the Spirit-filled church, the Pentecostal church, whatever you want to call us, I think we're just a Bible-believing church. We say things like, well, the church has lost its power. You know, God ain't moving no more. God ain't doing this. God ain't doing that. Let me, let me say this. When I hear people say that, I get a little bit angry. Because let me say this. When Jesus had that encounter with his disciples and Peter, when he said, who, who do people say I am? And they said, some people say that you're John the Baptist and Jeremiah and Elijah. And he looked at Peter and he said, and Peter said, but Peter, who do you say I am? He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, his name was Peter, because man hadn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And he said, on that rock, Peter, that who I am, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That church ain't dead. It ain't never going to die. And it ain't never going to lose its power. So don't say that it is. If we're going to judge what's happening in the church by what's happening out in the culture then yeah, we might as well pack our toys up and leave. But if we're going to judge the power of God by who God is in this Bible, we ain't lost no power. And so what we do is get up and do what we're called to do, know that God is sovereign, 
and leave the results to him. So I think if you'll remember those two things, God is sovereign and he's not lost his power. It'll help us as we start to walk out and walk in the authority that, that, that God's given us. So let's look at the Bible. Let's look at some examples of where Jesus himself gave the authority to the disciples, how they handled it, what went well, and what didn't go well, and what he had to say about it. Turn with, you, with, you, with me to Matthew uh, 10, 1. Matthew 10, verse 1. So where we're at here, Jesus has started his public ministry. He's been out healing the sick, casting out demons. He has began his he has begun to invade the culture with the kingdom of God. And that's simply all we're called to do anymore is advance the kingdom of God. And that's what he's doing. So now he's called his 12 disciples together. And he's going to start sending them out to advance the kingdom of God. And this is what he says to them. He says, and when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits. He gave them what? Power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of disease, sicknesses and all kinds of disease. So he called them together. Now understand in Matthew 28, 18, before Jesus ascended, he said, all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. So Christ has it all, and he's the giver of it. He gave it to those disciples. If you follow on through to Apostle Paul, when he talks about the gifts in the 12th chapter of the book of Corinthians, it ain't, it ain't dead. It's still for us today. So he gave that power to them. He said, I'm going to give you power of unclean spirits to heal sickness, disease. And if you read on down, if you go, into far, go on down through that to verse 8, to raise the dead. Now, the purpose of that, once again, though, wasn't, and if it happens today, and people, God, there's still miracles of healing today. There's a guy that still works on the police department with me, and I told Pastor I'm going to have him come in. Uh, and give his testimony. He had a miraculous healing and his whole family was saved because of it. So there's still healing today. Is it like I'd like to see it? I wish people would come in here and we put our hands on everybody and they were healed. That's what I would like to see. Certainly when it impacts me. But it don't happen that way. All the time. But when it does happen, it's the primary reason for it always, always, is spiritual. It's to, because here's the thing. The condition that they may be healed from is temporal. The long-term condition of sin and being separated from the Lord is eternal. And Pastor just did a series on that, on the signs, uh, uh, and the miracles and the signs, and the, and the spiritual lesson that was learned from them. It was always something spiritual. Yes, Christ is concerned, and God is concerned about my temporal condition, but he's more concerned about my eternal condition. And so am I. And when people come in, that's what we need to be most concerned about. Moved with compassion. That's what moved Christ. He was moved with compassion. And he wanted to see people healed. But most of all, he wanted them to see them set free and healed from the sin disease. The, the disease that was going to destroy the soul and destroy them eternally. So the, I shared this story sometime back, and some of you were here. But the most recent event for me like this involved a friend of mine. He's more of an acquaintance. And his name was, is Marty Horn. And I, I, I was going to bring the video in, but I, I didn't have time to get it loaded up. Marty Horn was down in Carolina Beach taking a surf lesson, Labor Day 
weekend of, of last year. Active guy, 52 years old, attorney, fell off that surfboard, hit his head on the bottom, and broke his neck. Paralyzed from the neck down, living on a ventilator, on a breather. When it happened, Tammy was able to go up and visit with him and the family. Right after it happened, I was out of town. A few months or so later, we were able to go back. He's still down in the hospital in Wilmington. They can't do anything with him yet on a, on a breather. So, folks, what I want to see, I serve an awesome God. And I know this guy, I don't think this guy, he's got a Catholic background, and I'm not here to argue about that, but I've never seen anything in his life where I believe he's got a salvation experience. And somebody said some priest had given in there and give some last rites. I don't even know what that stuff means. But I do know this. I know a Savior. I know a mighty God. I do. And I want him to know him. And as I, as I prepared to go see Marty, I, I was reading the Bible. I was reading some scriptures. I got me some scriptures together. And the whole time I was thinking, God, I would just love to go in there. In your might, in your power, his whole family's there. Pray for him. And him come up out of that bed. And we all shout and give you glory. And everybody in the room gets saved. That's what I want to see, God. But what do I have to do first? I have to trust his sovereignty. So I walked into that room. We, sp- we spoke with Marty for a little bit. We, prayed, we, we read those scriptures to him. And I prayed for Marty. And, and he, he couldn't talk. He could only bat his eyes. And I said, Marty, I believe God can heal you. And I know he wants to be your savior. And, and we prayed. And we walked out. And I walked out like I have many times thinking, God, why, why, why can't we, you know, why, why can't I see what I want to see in it? Well, fast forward a few, a few months. At this point, the doctors say, listen, he probably will never come off a ventilator. And if he does, he'll probably never have any movement in his legs. Is that, was that the diagnosis, Tammy? No, no, movement no movement at all. No movement anywhere. And so I walked out of there and I spent some time with the rest of the family. I prayed with the family. And we left. Short time later, he's transferred to the same place where uh, Denny, Stan, uh, Joy Stanley's brother was in, in uh, a spine clinic. And then he goes on to Oklahoma. And they posted something up recently of Marty Horn laying in a bed going, right leg, left leg, right leg, left leg, right leg. And those legs are moving. Folks, I don't know what's going to happen from that. I don't even know if my prayer had anything to do with that. I, that, I might find that out when I'm in heaven. But that was a miracle. And I thank God for that. And I hope he's in Oklahoma. I'm praying he's going to walk again. Because I want to be the one to go down there and say, praise God, Marty Horn. God, God is one reason you're walking. Submit your life to him. Make him your personal savior. Because that's the ultimate purpose of the miracle. Is that he have a personal relationship with Christ. Because even if Marty Horn walks again, one day he's going to die just like I am if the Lord don't come back. Where are you going to spend eternity? And that's what I'm most concerned about is where he's going to spend eternity. So if, if we're going to judge what we do on the benefits that we immediately see in front of us, we, we're setting ourselves up to be disappointed a whole lot. One more. Childhood friend. His name is Gray Emery. And um, this... A few years ago, I was the captain over in District 2, which was at Northgate Mall. Tammy, my wife, calls me. She says, uh, where you at? I said, I'm working. She said, well, you need to get over here on Guest Road right now. Some idiot is riding around in a motorized wheelchair on Guest Road, and he's going to get killed. I said, well, Tammy, I can't jump up here and ride down there and talk to some guy in a motorized wheelchair. 
Well, lo and behold, we were getting a lot of calls about this guy in a motorized wheelchair being in the roadway. And, and so he was sitting at that time, if you're familiar with guests in 85, they have a really wide median. And he was sitting up in that median, and I didn't know who he was. I just know he was a guy in a wheelchair. Well, I pulled up on the median with my car, and I walked up to him, and I said, man, we're getting a lot of complaints about you riding around in the roadway in that wheelchair. And if you know anything about Durham to Panhandle, you had to have a license, and you had to wear a little vest. And I said, have you got your peddler's license? And he said, yep. So he hands it to me. And as I begin to read his name, I see Joseph Gray. And as, as it's registering who he is, he looks at me and says, how you been doing, Larry? I said, I'm doing okay, Gray. I said, um, I hate to see where you've ended up, you know, Ray, Gray. He said, well, I, had a, I said, how'd you end up here, Gray? He said, I, I had a stroke. And uh, Gray and his brother Tripp had a terrible upbringing. Their, their home life was just tough. And his brother's in federal prison, and, of course, Gray's where he's at. And we talked a little bit, and we reminisced a little bit, and, uh, and I left. And so at that time also, Gray, I tell you, where it, if you know where the Lowe's is on Roxborough Road, you all know where the Lowe's is on Roxborough Road? Have you ever seen a guy in a wheelchair sitting right there at the median? That's Gray. Okay, that's where he sits now. But at that time also he would sit at, if you come off 15501 on the Hillsborough Road, he'd sit right there in a wheelchair. Well, Gray had been on my mind ever since I talked to him. So I stopped up at Chick-fil-A, and I got a $5 Chick-fil-A gift card because I don't give money. And I got him one of our church devotionals. And he'd been on my mind all day. And I said, I'm going to stop, and I'm going to go up, and I'm going to share my faith with Gray. I'm going to ask him about his faith, and I'm going to give him this. But the only thing that was in my mind, folks, the whole time was that was um, the story of Peter and John and the beggar at the gate called Beautiful. If you're familiar with that story, there's a beggar, just like Gray. He sits at the gate of the temple. He begs for money. And uh, Peter and John come by, and they say, Look, silver and gold have I not, but what I have I freely give. And they took him by the hand, and they stood him up, and he walked away from there. That story had been on my mind all day. I was like, Gosh. Mm, Lord, I'd love to go up there and just say, Great, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I freely give. And grab him and snatch him out of that wheelchair. And I, I did. I wanted to do that. And the whole time I'm walking up there, I mean, look, cars are back. It's 4.30 in the morning. They're on the exit ramp to get off. I'm in full uniform walking up there thinking about that. But I didn't. Should I have? I don't know. Would, that, would, if I, would, would it have worked? I don't know. Fear? There was a lot of fear. I grabbed him, pulled him out of that wheelchair, and he's, you know, everybody thinks I'm probably going up there to tell him to get off the road from begging anyhow. I go up there and, and snatch him out of that wheelchair, and he falls face first on his face right there. That would have been a good 5 o'clock news story. But I think God's capable of it. I do. I know he's capable of it. So I gave him that devotional. I shared the gospel with him, and I left. Should I have done different? I don't know. But I know God's able to do it. So... I don't know about you. I don't know what your stories are like that. I hope you have some. Because I'm a firm believer that some of the reasons we don't see more miracles is we're not exercising and looking for more miracles. We're not going and praying with people. We're not going to our, our loved ones, our friends, and our people and saying, can I pray with you, can I pray with you, can I pray with you? I, and I, I should do it more than I do. And Because and life gets in the way. And we'll talk a little bit about that more as, as I go through. And it, it was fear. And it was some unbelief. You know, God... Maybe you don't do that no more, I will say to myself. Maybe it was for a certain time. I don't know. But you know what? As I look at that, I'm in good company. 
So turn with me to, to uh, Mark nine fourteen through 29. Now this same story is also told in Matthew. All these things are told in all three of the Gospels. But let's look at Mark nine fourteen through 29. Talking about fear and unbelief. Because that's where I was. Fear that it wouldn't, what would happen, how foolish I might look, and unbelief that maybe it wouldn't happen like I want it to. Jesus has just come off the Mount of Transfiguration. He comes down the mountain and he sees a multitude. And this is what happens. He says, And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when he saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, What are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Now look, this is after Jesus has given them the authority. He's he's given them the authority. He's sent them out. And they've had some success. But here's a situation. He said, I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't cast him out. Let's keep reading. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. I love reading that because do you, I just sense the kind of the irritation in Jesus' voice. Golly, get these clowns. Bring him over here to me. How long am I going to have to put up with you guys? You know? I mean, I'm giving you the authority. You know you can do it, but you didn't do it. Bring him over here to me. I had to live that a little bit, but I do sense a little bit of... Then they brought him to him, and he, and when he saw him, he the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's where I live, folks. That's where I live. I know when things are happening and there's a need, I know God's able. God, I know you're able. Help my unbelief. Because my carnal mind starts thinking about it. What if I walk up there and pull Gray out of that wheelchair and he falls flat on his face and somebody calls WRL and said, you need to see what this officer did. But what if I go up there and I take him and I say, stand up. And what if he's healed? And I'm not saying what the answer is, but I will tell you that's where I live. I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw the people come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he become as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples came to him privately. Why could we not cast it out? So here's the disciples. They come in. You know, they're like, why couldn't we do this? I mean, you give us, why, why couldn't we do it? You know, we're asking that publicly, probably afraid of what he might say, especially after he just told them, You, Clance, bring that guy to me. But they ask him privately. And this is what Jesus said. So he said to them, this kind, 
Now, that right there lets me know there's varying degrees of things that we have to deal with. There's very, I don't know what f- trial you might be dealing with. I don't know what you're facing. But there's varying degrees of things that you're going to deal with. And Jesus said, this kind come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. So apparently those disciples had not dug in. Sometimes, folks, we got to, if we want to see God move and be supernatural. And I know last year we had be intentional. But this year during our time of fasting and prayer, I was in the prayer room. And that, that came to my mind. I want to be supernatural this year, God. I want to see you be supernatural this year. But you know what he might say? This kind of only happens by prayer and fasting. So I got to believe that there are some, there is some connection, folks, between how deep we're digging in and seeking God and how, how he's going to move for us. I said it's God's sovereignty, and that's where it has to always end. But there is always something between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. I don't know how those two play in all the, all the time. But I know there's a lot of scriptures that let me know that there's some things that I have to do. I have to seek God. I have to go after those things a little bit harder if I want to see God move and make a difference in certain situations. And I think there's just a lot of things that get in the way of that in our particular culture. We're busy people, but most of the stuff we're busy with don't have really any, any eternal implications. Look at Hebrews 11 and 6. This is the faith chapter. This is the heroes of the faith. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Diligently. Every time I read that verse, I'm like, God, do I diligently seek you? I I, I don't mind telling you, church, I hope you do. I have a consistent prayer life. I have a consistent Bible devotion life. I have a consistent church life. But God, do I diligently seek you? Sometimes I think so. Sometimes, probably more times than not, no. There's so much else pulling at us in our culture, our family, our our jobs, our wants. But it is part of that culture that affects us. I think about in Luke 24, 49. Jesus is about to ascend. Once again, he pulls the disciples around him and he tells them this. He said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you endued with power from on high. Wait. He told them two things. Wait and expect. And and folks, the culture we live in now, where we're at now, we don't wait for nothing. We don't. Uh, You know, I've heard it said we are, are, are microwave Christians serving a crockpot God. I want it, and I want it right now. And if it don't happen, then I'm going to walk out there and say, you've lost your power. But he hadn't. He might want something. He might want us to wait. He might want us to expect. And I don't know that sometimes I come and expect with a spirit of expectation that I, that I, should, that I should when I come before him. And then in Acts 1, 4 through 8, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them 
not to depart from Jerusalem, but once again to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I think it's important that we understand what that power was for. It wasn't necessarily for us to come in each Sunday and, 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 and have a brouhaha here and go out and, everything and talk about how great it was. That power is power for service. He said, I'm going to do you with power, and then you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to go out, and you're going to take that power out wherever you are to your Jerusalem. And I don't know what your, your Jerusalem is your workplace. Your Jerusalem is your neighborhood. Your Jerusalem is wherever that is. And you're going to, you're going to share that power there. You're going to go into the hospitals and pray with people. You're going to go to where people are addicted and say, can I pray with them? And you're going to, you're going to put your hands on people and pray with them and pray that God will deliver and pray that God will heal. And you're going to leave the results to him. But that's what it was for. It was for service for power. There is one other thing that I think affects, as I read this and as I studied this a little bit, this is more of about us corporately as a church, and I think about us as a nation. If you'll turn with me to Matthew 13, 53 through 58. Matthew 13, 53 through 58. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. When he had come into his own country, he taught them in the synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his, Mary called, his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You know what the problem was there? And this really struck me. Familiarity, if I say that. They were too familiar with the Lord. That's what they asked. They said, who is this guy? I mean, don't, didn't we grow up in the carpenter shop with him? Ain't his mama Mary? You know, I know Mary. And this is her son. What? And I thought about that, and I talked about that corporate solidarity. If we're not careful in our churches, in our church here, and certainly in our nation, aren't we the Christian nation? Aren't we the nation that was founded on God's principles? Aren't the scriptures posted up in D.C.? And they are. I mean, we've become very familiar with the things of God. We've got Bibles sitting all over the place. I mentioned this last time I did communion. I don't ever want to be real comfortable with taking communion like it's just something else I do. Worship. We get to do these things. Freely. Me something else. Freely, freely we get to do it. And a byproduct of that is we can become too familiar with it. 
that we don't hold it as holy as it should be. I know that happens to me. I have a Bible. I have Bible sitting all over the house. Have I come too familiar with the Lord? And I wonder about that in other nations where they, they, they don't have that. They're not that familiar. And it means everything to them. We had a Coptic Christian here. Uh, he's, a, he's a structural engineer. He does some work for us. And he come and looked at one of the cracks in the church. <clears throat> and if you're familiar with the Coptic Christians, they're in Egypt. And they were the ones, if you remember a few years ago, ISIS paraded 10 of them out onto a, uh, a beach with a cover over their head and beheaded them. Do you remember seeing that on the news? Well, he's a Coptic Christian. He has, his dad has a big engineering firm. They send a lot of their money back to the Christians in Egypt. The Christians in Egypt are a very closed group because they're ostracized by the government. Because, because um, the Muslim faith is, is so strong there. And I asked him, I said, how, how important is your faith to you? He said, it's everything to us because it's all we got. That's not us. And that's not me. But that doesn't mean God's lost his power. I don't know that that means it's coming here sooner or later. It may. But they're in a different place. The early church was in a different place. They didn't, they didn't have a government to rely on. They didn't have lawyers and, and money. They had God and each other. Boy, they were strong. And that's what had happened there. Jesus, he didn't say he couldn't do no miracles. He said he couldn't do much. They were familiar with him. I think we're pretty familiar with the Lord. I'm glad. I'm glad I live in a free nation. I'm glad. And none of this is salvation, folks. None of this. this is, we're talking about Dr. Lee's coming, and I, he's been to several nations. And one thing I'm excited to hear about from him is, what are you, what are you seeing happening in other countries? Because I hear about these miracles that are, why, what? Tell me, tell me what you think the conditions are different there than maybe here. The church is there, maybe here. We might be surprised what he tells us. So what are we to do about it? I started out with the two foundational truths. We're to know that God is sovereign. And we know that God hadn't lost his power. And I want to finish this by going back to where I started with that story about Joshua. And not being able to conquer because there was sin in the camp. Favorite verse in that is in Joshua 7.10. I told you that they lose the battle, they come back, Joshua tears his stuff, and he says he falls face down in front of the uh, ark. And he's belly aching and complaining like we do somehow. Oh God, what were you, why, why did you bring us across the Jordan just to be destroyed by the Ammonites? He's belly aching, he's complaining. You know, and that's what we, God's not moving. They're fault finding, well, if people would live right, this, that, and the other. Joshua has fallen face down, he's belly aching, he's complaining before the Lord. In verse 10, you know what God said to Joshua? And it might be what he's saying to us today as the American church. Here's what he said. Get up. That's what he said. He said, Joshua, get up. There's a problem. There's a sin. Go deal with it. Because he ain't lost his power. And that's for us today. We might think that things are bad, and they might be, but let's get up as God's people. Let's go out there and exercise the authority he's given us, and let's make an impact where we live, where we work, and we leave the results to him. Amen? I'm going to ask uh, Mark to start the music. I hope you're planning on coming to the, uh, to the conference.
Let's, let's hear from someone who's been around. Let's hear from someone who's taught a lot about the authority. Okay. Let me say something about that. How many, Carol said something interesting. How many times has God laid something or someone specifically on your heart? He has me. That's, that comes from the Lord. And don't, don't miss those opportunities. I have missed them. And I don't like myself very much when I miss them. But God lays somebody or something on your heart. You deal with that. Look for that door. Because he's, if he's laid it on your heart, he's going to open it. If he's put them or that circumstance on your heart and you're praying about it, he's going to open it. Don't miss it. I've missed those before, and, I, and it's not a good feeling. Because God has given you a divine appointment to bring his kingdom into somebody's life. And we just have to be willing to do it, and he may do something supernatural in that. Because he, he still moves supernaturally. He, he, he's not... He's not, and the, the true church of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus, has not lost its power, and it never will. 